We're excited to hear all the good reports that's happening every Thursday night. Just because you don't see Pastor Karn and myself popping in and out very often doesn't mean to say that you're not in our heart, in our thoughts, and of course, in our prayers. We pray for you much because we know that God has such a powerful, powerful, powerful thing for you, each and every one of you. In this multi-generational anointing that I keep talking about, I believe that God is stirring things up so that together we can see something tremendous happen in this earth, in this time. And I've been praying it, I've been praying it over you, that you rise up, take your place, take your seat, and become what it is you already are in Jesus Christ, amen? His spirit is moving, he's desiring to move upon you. Go ahead, under these leaders as Taylor and Carissa, I tell you, the sky's the limit. As they stir, as they help, as they encourage, as they pray for you, as they lead and steer, just get right in. Don't just stand by, get right in, put your hand to it, and let's see where we can take this. Sky's the limit. Just go as far as you can and dream the dream. And together, we can see God move mightily in the way that we've always known that He can move. God bless you. We, we absolutely love our pastors. Why? Because they are who they say they are. Amen. Isn't it good to know that you're in a place where it's just so pure? The call of God is so pure and the people in leadership are just like, hmm, all right, all right. Well, we're going to get started here tonight. Let me get my water because I'll think about it the whole time. Have you ever gone through the drive-thru and gotten a drink that had no ice in it and you didn't ask for that? I thought that was odd. But um, no ice, Okay. That's one way to do it. Okay, so uh, we're going to get started here tonight. I, a couple of you might have been here a couple weeks ago. I had just been praying, and the Lord put the word expansion in my spirit. And I was like, oh, okay, expansion, sure. And, of course, I thought about this. I thought about Thursday nights, and I thought, okay, so if expansion is for this purpose, then we need to be praying out expansion over this young adult group. And for some of you guys who were here from the beginning, there were some weeks where there was like three people, some weeks where there was five, you know what I'm saying? But um, I felt like I got so comfortable with it. I wasn't upset about that. I wasn't upset that we weren't, you know, packing it wall to wall every week because I knew we were going deep and not just wide. But I felt like the Lord was like, why would you get comfortable in that? Why would that be where you'd want to stop? And so this word expansion dropped into my spirit. I just begin to pray it out, and sometimes you might get things in prayer that make no sense to you. Anyone ever been there? And you're like, that's new, okay, a drink with no ice, if you will. And you just have to pray those things out. You have to go where the Father takes you with it. And for expansion, I just began to pray that not only would we expand in numbers and in size, but that we would expand in strength. And uh, the Lord has been dealing with me on a, a couple things here recently, and I started this study in Exodus of all places. Um, I'm a pastor's kid. Exodus was the book I never got to in the, like, read the Bible in a year thing. I, like, got to, like, Genesis 15, feeling real good, and then I, like, never finished. But um, Exodus, I kind of had this, like, stigma about Exodus, like, the plagues, the Israelites leave, awesome, a lot of people die. And I kind of just had an aversion to Exodus. I was like, all right, God, you said it would be there, it should be there. But um, I love this thing of digging through what has happened in the past to see what will happen in the future. And I believe that everything that's in this word is God-breathed because he's designed it that way. And so I ended up in this study of Exodus, of all places, and I can't tell you guys, it is radically changing my life. And I know that sounds super cheesy, but I can't tell you. I sit down and I get into this study and I'm like, what? You said that in the Old Testament? Sometimes we kind of knock on the Old Covenant and we knock on the Old Testament, but there is such a seam of the Holy Spirit even in the Old Covenant. I once heard a pastor say, you'll never hear the name of Jesus in the Old Testament, but there are a lot of things that look just like him. And it's so true. His nature, the way he loves us. You can see it here in the Old Testament. And this idea of expansion to me, the Lord was revealing it to me that it's the framework of our earthly existence. From the very beginning in the garden, we were called to expansion. And so if you guys want to turn with me real quick, we'll just look at it. It's going to be Genesis 1:28. I read that in the year through the Bible. Yes. You've all heard it before, but never let scripture grow old to you. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and all of the animals that scurry on the ground. From the very beginning, expansion was placed on our shoulders. We have this opportunity. When we become united with Christ, we have a choice 
to outgrow our flesh. We have a choice to tap into that spiritual nature that we have and outgrow the things of the flesh. If you were here last week, uh, Taylor made this adorable picture of Mario, and he like broke up the threefold nature of man, you know, spirit, soul, and body. It was so cute. But um, anyway, beside the point. Um, but anyway, our, our supernatural call to dominion and expansion gives us the opportunity to literally outgrow our flesh. The things that our flesh wants, the thing that our flesh desires, but it's a choice. You have to choose to outgrow it, but that's given to you when you become one with Christ. And so I'm thinking about this expansion and how this is, oh, this is all good things. Yes, Lord, expansion, growing. But um, as I started this study in Exodus, the Lord will always kind of level things with you. You know, with every road, there's two ditches, and sometimes we get so worried about the ditches that we don't stay on the road, amen? Especially in things of the word, we get, we get worried that, oh, well, what if I, like, get off, like, into something that I, like, shouldn't get off? The Holy Spirit's your teacher, just keep going. But uh, I was reading in Exodus, if you guys want to go to Exodus 1 with me, we're really, this could go, like, 18 different ways tonight, so just hang with me. I might not look at my notes, I might stick to my notes, but bless God, we're going to get something done tonight, Amen. So if you get to Exodus 21, or Exodus 1, sorry, that's jumping a little far ahead. Okay, so I'm going to start in uh, verse 8 here. Now, this is Israel that we're talking about, the nation of Israel, and at this time they're in Egypt. Um, And like I said, this is a story we've all seen, Prince of Egypt, all right, I know, you know the story, but don't let scripture get old to you. That's when it loses its power, when we say, ah, I've heard it, yeah, I get it then it doesn't do anything for you. Don't turn your ear off to scripture that you've heard before because it can change you again. If it changed you once, it can change you again. And so we get here to Exodus uh, 1.8, and it says, Eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us, and they'll escape from this country. So here's this idea of expansion. I'm all excited about it. And the Lord brings me to that. Rude. Um, We have this idea that expansion is always going to be received well. That when we outgrow our flesh, when we outgrow the things of our, our old man, and we start walking in the things of the Spirit, sometimes we have this idea that it's just all going to be good. I'm going to be walking on clouds. Everyone's going to be so proud of me. But there are times when expansion comes, that's when the real attack begins. Now, notice that expansion was given to us in the garden, this dominion to have over the earth. Notice the enemy didn't come in until we were given dominion. Notice that he didn't bother anything in the garden until dominion was given to us. Why? Because he knew he couldn't beat God. But he knew if he could twist what was given to us, he could get through us. And so here I see this, this idea of the Israelites being oppressed and suppressed in this time. This king is saying, oh gosh, they've just, they've outgrown us. They're, they're going to get to this place where they're so strong that we won't be able to keep them in their little box anymore. We can't govern over them if they get so strong. And it was brought to my attention here that the enemy will always come after you when you've started to expand. And it says here, I'm going to bring this over into verse something here. Hold on. Verse 13 of chapter 1. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all of their demands. And then it goes down to verse 15 that talks about the king actually told midwives back in that day that delivered children. Um, He said, while the Hebrew women are giving birth, if you see that it's a boy, kill it. If it's a girl, eh, let her go. There are dreams and callings and passions that have been placed on the inside of you since creation that the enemy wants to kill in labor before it even gets out. So when you start to outgrow this like idea of, hmm, if it feels good, do it, when you start to outgrow those feelings, the enemy takes notice. That expansion that you demand, you know, your supernatural nature demands that expansion. It's not something you have to beg and plead for. It's not something that you have to, like, bargain with God, like, I'll leave my watch if you help me, like, grow a little bit. That's not how God works. He gave it freely. He's a liberal giver. And um, in this sense, here are these Hebrew women that are giving birth. And the enemy so wants for it not even to come to fruition. That idea, that song you have, that, that call of God on your life, that word that was prophesied over you. You'll notice that when you step into things, you're like, ooh, why is this so hard? He's trying to kill that dream before it gets out. 
And I'm not telling you this to, to freak you out or to make it sound like he's in any way an equal foe. He's defeated. The Lord made a show of him openly, but we're not ignorant of his devices, yes? When you shine a light on a dark place, it's not so dark anymore. And that's why we talk about these things in church, because if it's dark, you're allowing your dominion to be taken from you and used against you. You see, we were called to have dominion but not be dominated. And in this place, the enemy has done such a fantastic job of twisting this idea of dominion with us. From the beginning, in time, in, in the garden, we were co-laborers with Christ. Again, a, a type and shadow of the new covenant. When we were in the garden, we weren't just created to be like gardeners. And like God was like, eh, I don't really feel like tilling the ground. I'll make a couple people to do it. We were called from the beginning of time to work alongside him. Because where's there, where there's creation, there must be cultivation. So if he can create something in you, you got to do your part and cultivate that. So we're here in the garden and we're giving this idea of dominion. And that's basically, you see something? Yeah, that's mine. Yeah, I take that. Yeah, I can handle that. And the enemy has gotten it to a place where when we see things in our day-to-day -day lives, like symptoms within our body, circumstances that come our way, our sense of dominion has been twisted to where we just kind of, yeah, yeah, that's something that I deal with. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get better at that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really sick. And we start to claim these things. We start answering to names that we should have never answered to because we've gotten in a place where our dominion has been shifted and we're no longer dominating, but being dominated. And um, I want to skip ahead real quick here into Moses' life. But don't worry, we'll go back because there's so much in there that is like, I can't tell you guys, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to talk about this because it has brought so much to me that I'm like, okay. Taylor asked me if I want to preach and I was like, yes. Yes, I do. But anyway, so I want you to skip over. <laughs> I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 11. You guys know this is the Hall of Faith. This is Canton, if you will, which now houses Kurt Warner. Hallelujah. This is a retired Jersey Hall. Just go to Hebrews chapter 11 here. I'm trying to do this with my left hand, and it's not going well. Okay. Oh. Okay, and we're going to go to verse 24. If I can find it here. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Let me read that again. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses got it. He got that when he got to this place of expansion, when he knew that there was something that he had to do and it didn't happen in the house of Pharaoh, he said, don't, don't call me the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I don't want to be known by that. Don't associate me with that. I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. And I think that's placed in here because a lot of us sometimes will get so used to just acquainting ourselves with the things that come our way. But Moses knew. He knew. I don't know how he knew because he didn't have the spirit of God on the inside of him like we do. But he knew. He said, what I'm going to do, I can't be, you can't look at me like I'm the son of Pharaoh's daughter anymore. I'm a Hebrew. And so it's like you have to denounce what you aren't and walk in what you are. And so for him here, he had to say, don't, don't call me that. That's not, that's not my name. Anybody? He, um, he said, I'm a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. And in this place, we see that he's taking a stand for who he is. This idea of distorted dominion was no longer an issue for him. And uh, one thing that I, I actually do want to read some more here. Um, I'm going to read 24 and 25 because they go together. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. So here's Moses. He says, no longer associate me with Pharaoh. So he hands over the riches of the land, everything. Can you imagine growing up in the house of Pharaoh, like wanting for nothing, like driving a Corvette in Egypt? Like he wanted for nothing, but he handed over his riches and it said that he took on the oppression of his people. So he trades everything he has for something that is not nearly as good, but it's for the sake of stepping into what's in on his life. Now, let me remind you, though, this is an old covenant. So where he had to trade in riches for oppression, we trade in our oppression for riches. Because that's the nature of God. When we become one with Christ, when we become unified with him, it's a new covenant. So Moses, he had to give up his riches. He had to give up the title of the son of Pharaoh's daughter for the oppression of his people who were slaves. 
how much more can we trade in what we have for what he has in this new covenant? So I have this feeling of, oh, I'm just, oh, I'm so stressed out. Oh, there's so many things. <sighs> we get to this place where we don't, we just accept it. And we live our lives and people call us the son of Pharaoh's daughter when we're Hebrews. We get to this place where we take these things upon ourselves and we kind of stack them like a pack mule, even though we're the righteousness of God in Christ. We're holding on to these things as if they belong to us, and they don't. So here's Moses. He trades his riches for oppression. Now we get to trade our oppression for the riches of Christ. See, if we're co-laborers with Christ, as we have been from the garden, if we're one with Christ, if we've been raised together with Christ, then anytime we trade what we have for what he has, upgrade. It's awesome. When you feel like you're in a place of, oh my gosh, like I just... I can't anymore. Like, I, I physically can't. If I had a dollar for every time I, like, got stressed out, I'm like, I just can't anymore. You trade that oppression for riches. Come on. That's huge. And it's that idea of dominion. He knew who he was. Hallelujah. There's this idea of preservation that comes with your expansion. You see, he doesn't just leave us on our own, like, Here's this car that you've never learned how to drive. Have fun. It's probably insured under his name, so he's going to treat you how to, you know, use it. But um, anyway, there's this, there's this way of preservation in our supernatural nature. He's not just going to leave us high and dry. And I want to bring you guys back to the, the beginning of Exodus. We're going to look at chapter 2, verse 1. We're just kind of walking through Exodus, so just have grace with me as we do this. We're going to Exodus 2 here, 1 through 4. I'm reading from the NLT version, which my husband gives me a really hard time for, and I don't know why. He's like, oh, the NLT version? Enjoy your child Bible. <laughs> okay. It's harsh when you hear it now, though, isn't it? All right. So we're in Exodus chapter 2, and it says here, about this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for months. One translation says that she saw he was exceptionally beautiful. I just want to pause there for a second. The plan of God in your life will always be exceptionally beautiful. And you might not see it, and you might not get it, and you might question it a lot. But when God calls you to something, when he puts a desire or a passion inside of you, that same desire that the enemy wants to kill in labor, it's going to be especially beautiful to you. And you're going to know that you have to protect it, just like this Levite woman. She thought, oh my goodness, this kid is adorable. I have to protect him. She knew she had to protect him. Now, at this point, um, Pharaoh had found out that, you know, the midwives weren't killing the children because they feared God, is what it said. Hallelujah. There's going to be things that come your way, but there will be people that fear God that will kind of buffer that for you. I truly believe that. I believe that's why that's listed there. But, um, at this point, he said, okay, so the midwives are acting up, so take all the baby boys and throw them in the Nile. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I love babies. And the idea of that just makes me want to, like, oh, I think of that scene in The Prince of Egypt. Like, that's when I always turn my head, like, no, don't let it happen. But um, anyway, we're at this point where she's, she's got this child, and it said that she hid him for three months. Can you imagine what it was like to have to hide a child for three months? Have you been around a newborn baby? Every time that baby cried, she had to shh, 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 I don't want him to kill you, just shh. For three months, she had to watch this baby closely. Some of you need to start getting serious about the call of God in your life. Watch it. Take care of it. There are people that need what you carry. And you don't carry it just to get, ooh, look at me. You carry it to carry it to them. That's why it's been placed in you. And so here's this woman, and she's, like, you know, trying to, like, muffle her child for, like, three months. And then finally it gets to the place where she says, I can't hide this baby anymore. This kid's running all over the place. We got to do something about him. So um, I want you guys to read with me here. And, well, chapter 2, verse 3. When she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds on the bank of the Nile. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Now, earlier when I said that, that pastor, he always said, you know, you won't see the name of Jesus in, in the Old Testament, but you'll see a lot of things that look just like him. I believe that in this point, 
when it says, she put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeves of the bank of the Nile. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. I believe that when those dreams and passions that God has put in your heart, when you get to a place that you have realized its worth, when you get to a place where you know the effect that it could have on the world, and you're willing to give it up to him. See, this woman, she had this baby, and she thought, oh my goodness, this baby is exceptionally beautiful. What do I do with it? And she gets to a point where she recognizes the value of what she has, but then she's willing enough to surrender it to the unknown of the Nile because she just knows it's got to do something. He's got to go somewhere. He's got to be away. Something has to occur for this baby to do what it's supposed to do. And I love that it mentions here that his sister watched. When you get to a place where you can surrender those dreams that are on the inside of you, when you can get to a place where you can say, God, I don't know what you want me to do with this, but I'm going to give it to you. I'm just going to place it here. I'm going to place it here, and I'm just going to leave, and I'm going to trust that you know what you're doing with this. I trust that the Holy Spirit, like Miriam, stands there and watches. That that gift that's on my life, when I say, Lord, take it, I don't... I don't know why I have it. I don't know why I have a passion for these things. I don't know why I, I enjoy doing this. But when you can get to a place of surrender, a humble and hum, humiliating sometimes surrender of, oh my gosh, Lord, I've been holding on to this for so long. I'm sorry. You see this Levite woman, she puts this baby in the Nile, not knowing where it's going to go, trusting the unknown of the Nile River that was full of God knows what creatures. And she let her baby in there. But she knew that that baby was exceptionally beautiful. And she was willing to do whatever it took to do her side. You know, I had a teacher at Raymond. He said, there's a God side and there's a man side. You got to do the man side. But Miriam watched and waited. And I believe that when you can surrender yourself to the Holy Spirit, when you can surrender those things within you that you're thinking, I can't give that up. That makes me who I am. What am I supposed to do if I give that up? If you get to a place where you can surrender that, knowing full well that the Holy Spirit is going to watch it all the way, you've got to trust that he's going to protect it. I guarantee you, if this basket that was floating down the Nile, if some kind of harm tried to come to it, and this adorable little Miriam is watching it, she's going to do something about it. She won't be so adorable anymore when someone's trying to be mean to her little brother that's floating along in a basket. We've got to trust that the same God that put that gift on the inside of you has given us the provision to watch it as it grows. So as Miriam watched this basket, the Holy Spirit will watch you. He'll watch that surrender. He'll reward that surrender. But it's that first step of knowing, whew, I got something. And Lord, I got to give it to you. That's the only way that we can grow. That expansion that's on the inside of us, it demands it. It's a spiritual law of expansion. It demands that we just, all right, Lord. Because if I want to outgrow my flesh, I got to stop acting out of the flesh. If I want to get bigger than the things of this world, if I want to get past those thoughts in my mind that are like, well, you know, you're not really old enough. If I want to get past those things, I have to start thinking past those things. And we see that here, and I think this is so cool, because the types and shadows of Christ in the Old Testament are like, I could just cry. I'm a crier. I could just cry. They're so beautiful. He just wanted to be close to us that whole time. But because sin was such a, a barrier, he had to work with what he had. And he did such a good job with it. And we, you know, we think the Old Testament, and sometimes we just think judgment, and like then God woke up one day and was like, you know what, I've been kind of harsh on you. I'm going to give you a break now. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but we have to realize there's an old covenant and there's a new covenant. Praise God, we're in the new. But there's this plan of preservation that is on your life, and I believe that it's the Holy Spirit's responsibility and joy to watch it. You don't think the Holy Spirit gets excited when you step into the call of God on your life? All of heaven is waiting for that. All of earth is waiting for that. There's something on the inside of you that if you don't get it out, there's going to be people left in captivity. And like I said, I'm not telling you these things to like totally freak you out or get you all like, oh, not coming back here. She's crazy. But we're not ignorant of his devices. So we're not going to hold these things on the inside of us and die with them. We have to surrender them. You know, Taylor and I went and saw La La Land a couple weeks ago. Great movie. Highly recommend it. So good. But um, anyway, 
I, I got really real with him after this. And I think this is a fine place to get real with you guys because we're all in the body of Christ. But we get out there, and if you haven't seen this movie, I won't spoil it. But um, it has a lot to do with dreams and the things on the inside of you and the goals that you have for yourself and the things that you want to see. And I got out to the car. I told you I'm a crier. I'm just crying like a little baby. We actually have special tissues in the car now. I was just crying, and, and Taylor's like, oh, what's wrong? He's so nice to me. He was like, oh, what's wrong? And I was like, I am so afraid. I'm so afraid that I'm going to die with my dreams inside me. He goes, oh. <laughs> he was just going to pick up a little chocolate on the way home, and now he knows I'm going to need a lot more than that. But I told him, I, because we have, to, we have to come to grips with it sometimes. I told him, I was like, I'm afraid that I'm going to die while these dreams are still on the inside of me. I can't tell you guys, the same dreams that I've had since I was young are still burning on the inside of me today, just waiting to get out. And you know when it comes, it's exceptionally beautiful. But I told him, I'm so worried that I'm just never going to get to do this, that my whole life I'm going to be like, ah, oh, yeah. And then, like, my daughter's going to be awesome, right? And she's going to, like, come up and be like, Mom, I have such a good idea. And I was like, oh, I had that idea too. She's going to beat me to it. We don't want to live in a place of, like, bitterness because we didn't step out. There gets to be a place, this Levite woman, this is the old covenant, folks. We have the spirit of God on the inside of us now. For her to be able to place that child into the Nile, not knowing what was going to happen, she had to know that it would be watched and that it would be taken care of. Now, I want you guys to go to um, verse number five. Try not to dance around a little bit. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked by the river bank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. I would feel sorry for him, too, but uh, that's beside the point. So the woman took the baby home. Oh, wait. Oh, ah, you didn't hear that. Um, let me see. She felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. And then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find some of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. The baby's biological mother. Hallelujah. Uh, Take the baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother. I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. When you get to a place of surrender, to where you can say, Lord, just take it. Just do what you need to do, just take it. Your dreams, those passions, and those callings that are on the, the inside of you are going to wash up on the front yard of kings. When you're able to let go and say, God, I want you to do it. I just want you to take this exceptionally beautiful plan that you put on my life. I want you to take it, do what you want to do with it. Notice that Moses didn't end up just like in the shrubs somewhere, like just to die. He washed up in the yard of Pharaoh. When we can get to a place where we say, I just want you to have it, it's really easy to say you can have it all, Lord, and worship until we have to do it. And it's okay because we've all been there. I've been there. I'll probably be there a couple more times because we have to grow. Glory to glory, faith to faith. We grow, but we don't go back. That's the only stipulation. But I love it. I love this idea that this woman, she followed, I don't know how God told her. Like I said, she didn't have the spirit of God on the inside of her. How did she know to put that baby in the river? Sounds like bad parenting, but turns out it was good. She put this baby in the river and just kind of let it do its thing, let it marinate for a couple hours until it pops up in front of Pharaoh's home. You know, there are many things in your life that you think, how on God's earth am I going to do this? When we get to a place of yielding and surrendering that very idea to the Lord, the bill's not going to be on you. We're going to get to such a place. It's like Nehemiah when they rebuilt the wall. Notice they didn't pay for it. Or that scripture in Isaiah that talks about strangers will stand and feed your flocks. When we're walking out the call of God on our life, the last thing we're going to be thinking about is the bill. Where there's creation, there must be cultivation, though. So where he gives us this opportunity to outgrow our flesh, and he gives us this opportunity to recognize the beauty of what he's given us, we have to keep cultivating that. That's our job. That was Adam's job. We're going to do it right this time, Adam. We have to cultivate what's been created for us. And then it's going to wash up into the homes of people that are just going to foot the bill. Why is that? 
because he supplies our needs according to his riches and glory, not mine. Not how I can, like, reason it out or budget it out. It washed up into Pharaoh's yard by the hand of God because Moses had to be in that house for something. Some of you need to be in certain places, and you got to trust that where God is taking you, the Holy Spirit is watching you. And I love that this part, right before she goes and gets um, Moses' actual mother, Miriam interrupts, and she's like, oh, whoa, found this baby that looks just like me. Why don't I go get someone to take care of this kid? Miriam watched and waited, and then she interjected at the right time. The Holy Spirit is watching and waiting, and he will interject at the right time. You might think, I, don't, I just don't know how I'm going to get there. Stop talking like that. He's going to interject for you. He's your helper. He was given to us to comfort us, so let him do his job. You know, when Taylor cooks chicken at home, I'm going to do it. When he cooks chicken, he'll put it in the pan, and he'll flip it like 16 times. And I'll always, what do I say? Let the pan do its job. Just let it simmer. Some of you, <laughs> some of you need to just let the Holy Spirit do his job. Let him watch that gift on your life. Let him interject at that right time. Now notice this Levite woman who gave up her baby. She gets to raise her child, her own child. She gets to raise him up from being little to older, all while Pharaoh pays for it. Ooh. She got to this place where she was so surrendered that she got what she wanted. Those dreams that are in your heart, you'll get them. But the best part is you're not going to toil in vain. The bill is not going to be your problem. The problem's going to be how do we fit all these people in here? The problem's going to be how do we grow this bigger because we're outgrowing our space? This law of expansion has been placed on us for a reason. If the body of Christ would begin to expand in the way it should, the kingdom of darkness would shrink as it should. But it's up to us. And I love that. I love that right here. She gets to raise her own baby. She doesn't even have to pay for it. She gets to be paid to watch her own child. That's awesome. That's amazing. And so we get to this place. Let me get here. Verse 10. Let's go to verse 10. This is fun. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named Moses, or the princess named the baby Moses, for she exclaimed, I lifted him out of the water. You know, that's not the only time Moses was delivered from water. Every time she spoke this child's name, the Pharaoh's daughter was unknowingly prophesying the deliverance of an entire nation every time she said his name. Oh, yeah, I pulled him out of the water. Fast forward, Red Sea split, delivered him and a nation out of the water. The same God that began something in you in the beginning will be faithful to complete it. Here is this Pharaoh's daughter. She is not like worshiping God. Let me tell you what, I absolutely, I love Egyptology. I love all of this stuff. I love going through it because I think it's there for a reason. And I'm getting tired of all these worldly scientists finding all these things and being like, yeah, that's this, and they don't even know what they're talking about. So I like to do research with the Spirit of God on the inside of me for revelation that I know can't come from anywhere else. So what I love here so much is that every time she spoke her son's name, Moses, because I pulled him out of the water, she prophesied and declared the exodus in the home he was trying to deliver his people from. She should have whispered his name. I pulled him out of the water. I'm telling you guys, that same God, that same God that started something in you in the beginning is so faithful to complete it. It'll be at a place where sinners are even cheering you on. People that don't even like you are going to be like, good for them. You know, I always kind of like them anyway. I love that. That's such a God thing. His name was Moses, guys. Oh delivered him out of the water. I love that. Okay, now we're going to go to verse 11. Skip down one verse. It says, Many years later, when Moses had grown up, 
He went to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions, looking shady, I'm sure, like, after looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit the people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to um, the guys who had started the fight. The men replied, who appointed you our prince and judge? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Ooh. That's when that like, dun, 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 plays. And he was like, I thought no one was watching. That wasn't me. Um, he gets to this place where, so here he is in Pharaoh's home, and now he makes a mistake. And I think sometimes in our lives we get this idea of like, when we make a mistake, that we just have to, like, we are not good enough anymore. Like that, yes, there's a call of God in my life. It's exceptionally beautiful. I put it in a basket in the Nile, whatever that means, and a small child watches it. We get to this place where Moses, he, he makes a terrible mistake. He actually kills a man. But let's keep reading here. Um, then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to the land of Midian. I was reading that a couple days ago, and um, I'm not really one to, like, start off a sermon with, like, Webster's Dictionary defines faith as, but I got to this place, and I felt like I was supposed to look up the definition of Midian, and I was like, okay, like, prime meridian, like, all these things, I'm trying to, like, figure it out. It actually means discipline and covering. When Moses got to a place where he stepped out of what he was supposed to be, he ran right into the covering of God in Midian. There are some of us, we get so nervous when we mess up, and we get so nervous that, oh, no, we're not good enough anymore. Ugh, now what am I going to do? But we run to all the wrong places. We run back to those friends that always told us that we couldn't do what we wanted. We run back to that relationship that was, like, not going anywhere good. But here's Moses. He was willing enough to run into Midian, which was far away from his home, the wilderness, really. So he's leaving, like, well, that's an Illinois thing. You guys wouldn't know that. Nah, we'll move on. Um, I was going to say Chicago to, like, Roberts, Illinois, which is where I'm from. I think there's 12 people that live there. Bless God. But um, he went from this big city into this, like, wilderness. But he was willing enough to run into the covering of God, but also the discipline. Sometimes we just, we just want it to be okay, but we don't want to help make it okay. So when we step out like Moses did when he killed this Hebrew, we're just like, mm, skirt, bye. And we like run, and we just expect it all to just, nah, it'll fix itself. But in this place, I think it's so beautiful that the place's name is Midian. Because when we run, and when we step outside of what we feel like God has put on our lives, when we have the humility to run to his covering but are sensitive to his discipline, that's where we find phase two. Because here's Moses. He gets to Midian. And he helps out these girls. Something tells me it wasn't just because, like, he had a good heart. Pretty sure they were all cute. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'll help you. Just get some water for your sheep. We see you, Moses. We see you. But these girls, they go back home and they, they tell their dad, because he's like, why did you get home so soon? Like, you guys are little with your tiny, like, no upper body strength. Have you girls realized that? It's really hard. But um, he's like, why are you guys home so early? How did you do this? And they were like, oh, this guy, like, helped us. Like, this guy was, like, super cool. Like, watered all of our flocks. Was awesome, Dad. And he was like, why wouldn't you invite him over? You didn't invite him over. And so I don't know how they found him. I, don't, I mean, it is a desert, so that guy. Um, <laughs> that was too easy. Um, so they go and find him, and they bring him home. And he gets a wife. He, he finds a wife there. And what I think is so cool here is that even in the, the covering of the Lord, in the discipline of the Lord, there are still good things for you to find. You think, oh, I don't want to enter the discipline. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Grace. You know, bunny trail. Yeah, let's do it. There are, a while back, when the grace message first came out, I feel like it got to this place where people were so excited that they didn't have to repent anymore they're just like, let's do all the things. And it got to this place where we were like kicking and screaming for the allowance of sin. And I was sitting there one day, and God is so good. Amen? He is 
is so good. I was sitting there, I'm like, I don't really know how to like act toward this because like I, I believe that I should still repent because I don't want anything standing in between me and the Lord. I don't want anything between us. If Taylor and I are in a fight, someone's got to apologize. Most of the time. Know it, own it. But side note though, my mom actually always said, she said, when there's argument, there's a chance for reconciliation. So she told me right before we got married, even if he was wrong, apologize. I thought to myself, hmm, yeah, definitely. But I'm serious, we've adopted that. And now like when he does something that's like not so like awesome and he apologizes, I'm like, you know what? I'm sorry I got so upset so quick. Yeah, that, that kind of bummed me out, but I'm sorry that I didn't give you a little more grace there. And I felt like in this same area, while we kicked and screamed for the allowance of sin, we should really be careful to not tear the robe of righteousness that Jesus died for us to have. Why would we want to associate with sin and say, no, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. When heaven went bankrupt so that you could be clothed in righteousness, what's the point? And I thought, mom, not me. Lord, not me. Help me, Jesus. That is not me. I did something wrong. You're right. I'm sorry. you got to get to that place where you can accept his discipline. Because I'll tell you what, I'm number three of seven kids. If my parents had let me act any way I wanted, I would be a hellion today. I had like an attitude growing up, like bad. But my parents loved me enough to where they grounded me from my books if you didn't know me when I was younger, now you do. They grounded me from my books because they knew if they took my phone, I wouldn't really feel it. But they took my books and I was like, oh, all right, <laughs> I feel it now. But I love the fact that my parents had discipline on me because I could not stand here today and do what I do and live the life that I live if my parents had just been like, yeah, just do what you want to do. It's all good. It'll wash out. You're not my responsibility. They knew that I was their responsibility, and they said, no, you're going to walk worthy of the vocation in which you're called. So I thought, wow, there's, you know, there's a lot of things that other kids my age get to do, and I don't really get to do them. Thank God, because now I see why. We have to be in a place where we can accept the discipline, and if mom and dad are watching, thank you. I appreciate it. Brownie points. We get to this place where we get so afraid of discipline that we're not willing to grow. So we'd rather just sit in our diaper at like 18 years old than learn how to grow up. And I know it sounds like, wow, that's weird and kind of harsh. But we have to get to a place that when we step out of the call of God on our lives, when we start running, because we will, we'll run to his covering and be sensitive enough to run into discipline and trust that it's going to do what it's supposed to do. It's amazing. I was actually, um, ah, that's a bunny trail we don't need to get into you got to know which ones to pick. They all, you know, they all go together. Um, one thing that I think is so great is Jethro. So this is Moses' father-in-law. I believe that when he was in Midian, that Jethro was used as like a, like a dad to him, but also as like a check yourself. Because after the Israelites were delivered, we see, and I believe it's Exodus 19, 16 through 19, somewhere in there. Um, I keep flipping back and forth. I don't know where I'm at anymore. But he gets to him after the Israelites have been delivered, and he counsels Moses on how to handle, like, the day-to-day -day of the Israelite nation. And I love how he put it. He said, find people that fear God and hate bribes. Put them in charge. That's awesome. He basically said, find people who get it. That way you can do what God has called you to do, and they can help you. I think that's so great. And so Jethro here, I think, is a, Another sign to us of that discipline, that he was able to be like, nah, nah, don't do that. <laughs> I tried that when I was your age. <laughs> don't do that. And I love that because he ran into the covering of the Lord, but the discipline. All the while, this plan of God that was on his life was being preserved. You think he was in the wilderness. What was he doing out there? He was fine in phase two, and that's where I want to bring you guys here. Chapter three of um, Exodus. Verse 1, Moses one day was tending the flock of his father Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Now, it's really hard for me to just pass over that Sinai reference here, but we're going to do it for the sake of time. We'll visit that some other day. But um, 
There was an angel of the Lord that appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. That's amazing. That's amazing, Moses said to himself. Why is this bush burning up? I must go see it. That gift on the inside of you, that passion, that calling that has been supernaturally placed, when you outgrow your flesh, when you say, "Mm, nope, not going to do that anymore, when you outgrow your flesh and you start to walk in the spirit, that thing that the Lord has put on the inside of you will burn so hard. You'll see, oh my gosh, that's what you want me to do? And you'll begin to feel that like, oh my, oh my goodness, if you're living in the flesh, that fire, you're not going to be able to stand it. But because Moses was willing to step outside, because Moses knew that expansion was demanded of him, just as we, when we're united with Christ, we're no longer just fleshly people, but we're after the Spirit, born after the Spirit, raised together with Christ, we get to this place where our spirit man can handle that kind of fire. Our spirit man can handle that kind of pressure because that's what it was created for in the garden to house that fire of God, to house that passion of God. So when we begin to see the spiritual law of expansion play out in our lives, we're not so afraid to do it anymore because your spirit has what it takes. It's like when Noah was building the ark. This is a good bunny trail, I promise. It was when Noah was building the ark, the Lord gave him very specific measurements, very specific. I wish I could interpret them, but I don't, so I watch Evan Almighty because they built the ark. But he gave him very specific instructions because he knew what that ark had to require to get it through that flood. He was the only person who knew. So he called it out, I need it to be this many cubits. I always picture like cupids, like measuring by cupids. Anyway, um, not angel babies, sorry. Um, Anyway, so he calls out these measurements of the ark because he knows what it takes to get it through that flood. And then we go into some of David's writings. And he says that he knit you together in your mother's womb. He called out your dimensions because he knew what you would need to get through this life. He called out your traits. He called out your anointings. He called out your passions because he knew that when the flood of life came, you had to remain. You had to wash up on shore because of what was on the inside of you. He knew that those things that were on the inside of you were tied to other people. You see, our expansion isn't just tied to us. It's directly related to an exodus for everyone that watches us. So here's Moses. He's got a lot riding on him, and he doesn't even know it yet. But he's here at this burning bush, and he's thinking, wow, how's it not burning up? That would freak me out, quite honestly. If I was in the middle of a desert and, like, a bush started talking to me, in the name. But I want to I read that real quick. When the Lord saw Moses coming closer to him, God called to him in the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. My older sister growing up, I love her, Caitlin, she, I don't know why, she would come home and she would leave her shoes on for like hours at a time. She'd be like doing her chores, like vacuuming, still wearing her shoes. And my dad would always be like, hey, take off your shoes, stay a while. And it was just a joke because Caitlin always had her shoes on. We're like, take your shoes off, you live here. It makes me feel uncomfortable that you still have your shoes on. I believe right here that God is saying, Moses, take your shoes off, not because you're not worthy, but you need to get comfortable around this kind of stuff. The call of God in your life is going to bring you into places of holy glory. Take your shoes off and get comfortable. Notice he didn't say to Moses, hey, Moses, this is above your pay grade, holy ground. Just just turn around. You saw nothing. No, he invites him in closer, but he says, take off your shoes. There's a respect and an intimacy that comes when we accept the call of God in our life. And he's not going to look at us and say, whoa, whoa, that's cute. Not yet. He's a liberal giver, open-handed. He liberally gives to his people. I firmly believe with everything in my heart that he told Moses to take off those shoes because he needed to get acquainted with the glory of God. This isn't the first time he's going to see the Lord. You know, I made a joke about like Sinai and skipping over it. A study on Mount Sinai has absolutely radically shifted the way that I see everything because the significance of it 
that he would find this place worthy to rest his presence in a covenant that didn't allow that. What did that mountain have? It's amazing to me, but this isn't the first time that Moses is going to see the Lord. This idea of expansion, this outgrowing of being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, it required much of him. And this wasn't the first time he was going to see the glory of God. So take your shoes off. Get acquainted, because you're going to see more. He would then end up at the top of Mount Sinai and actually see God. They lived in a covenant where if you even saw God, it totally freaked them out. It's like when you bring that new kid to church and it's like Holy Ghost fire and you're like, ooh. (laughs) And they're used to like the three points that all have the same letters and yeah. But it's like that. In that old covenant, they weren't used to this glory and fire. They were used to don't get near the ark. My cousin died. He touched it. Don't go near the ark. But now we're in this place where Moses sees God. And it said that he had to, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but oh well. It said that he had to put a veil over his face because people couldn't handle it. We don't have to shield our face because we see his now. We don't have to hide away this call of God on the inside of us. We don't have to apologize for it. We don't have to cover it up under tradition and what people think of us and expectation. We don't have to hide this thing of God in our life because it freaks people out. You know, I get so nervous before I talk places, like crazy nervous, like handshaking nervous, like went to the bathroom three times kind of nervous because I'm like, I didn't even drink any water. But I get really nervous. But when you step into the call of God on your life, there's provision for that. There's such grace for that. And I don't have to apologize for who he's made me now. I don't have to apologize for that passion that he's put on the inside of me. And a lot of times that reckoning, that reckoning is with ourselves. I can't tell you how many times I've like fought with myself like a crazy person. You can't do it. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. We get to this place where we, it's that twisted dominion. That is a valid point. I probably shouldn't do that. We accept those things that come up to us as if they're our own. We're called by names that we should never answer to. But this idea of twisted dominion, the enemy has gotten into our our thought patterns and into our society to think when something comes your way, well, it's yours. Life just kind of dealt you a bad hand. Aren't you glad that's not our philosophy? Aren't you glad that we can turn the story around at any point? Aren't you glad that there's a hope within you that can cause something to burn so much on the inside of you that it won't even consume you? But it will empower you and it will drive you. That was phase two for Moses. He had to understand the discipline and the covering of the Lord to get his assignment. I was telling Taylor a while ago, I used to run, like on purpose, not just like, you know, I got upset and ran. I, um, I played every sport imaginable, every sport imaginable. I actually only played basketball to condition myself for soccer. But um, I'd come home from basketball practice, and I had a treadmill in my room. Thanks, Mom and Dad. And uh, I'd run five miles after basketball practice every single day because I wanted to be the best. When conditioning came, and I was faster than all the seniors, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to devote my time to the sport and the game that I loved because I wanted to show up on that field and make a statement. Some of us, we need to start understanding that that covering and that discipline of the Lord, that's our five-mile run after basketball practice. Because we want to be fit. We want to be worthy of the vocation in which we're called. But where there's a God side, there's a man side. Where there's creation, there must be cultivation. So here's Moses. And he gets out here and he's, can you imagine? This kid has been through so much. He gets out here and now the Lord tells him, I want you to go and free my people. All of this, this is the catalyst leading up to it. This exodus. He's been grooming Moses his whole life for this. Some of you just don't know what you're going to end up doing. Trust that he's watching that gift. Trust his discipline that it's shaping that gift. And trust the plan that's going to help you walk out that gift. There is power in what's been placed on the inside of us. And just because you don't get up with a microphone and talk about it and say weird things every other sentence, me, doesn't mean that there isn't power in it. 
for me, I've had to come to grips with so many things. And the only reason I talk about me is because I'm allowed to pick on myself and no one else is. There have been times in my life where I will just, I am my harshest critic. Like, if I said some of the things out loud that I said to myself, you'd be like, why are you so mean? We have to get to this place where we're not constantly finding excuses to not expand ourselves. We have to get into a place where this idea of twisted dominion is put back into place. No, I don't own that. No, I'm not sick. No, I'm not oppressed. Don't call me the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'm a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. He claimed what was his. And because he did that, this mass exodus is entirely attached to his obedience. Because he was willing to go where the Lord told him. Not so willingly, if you read it. He was like, but I can't even get out a sentence. Like, you want me to go, Pharaoh? Cool. Can't even get out a sentence, Lord. And he sends him Aaron. Some of you guys are like worrying and wondering how you're going to get to that thing. Be on the lookout for your Aaron. Not that you shove things off and say, well, you know, just have someone like that guy in the group project that does nothing and you do everything. Don't be that guy. Don't be looking for someone to just do it yourself. Just, yeah, yeah, you do it. And I'll like, I'll sign my name at the bottom. It's like, whatever. I really appreciate your help. But find the people that are going to guard your back with love and loyalty. Those are the people that are going to take you to the next step. Those are the people that when the heat gets hot, they've got your back. Those are the people, Aaron was for Moses. He was literally his mouth to Pharaoh. I can't imagine how goofy that looked, though. Like, obviously, Moses had a beard. He should have been doing the talking. He's just standing there, and here goes Aaron, and he's just saying the whole plan. He's like, I can turn this stick into a snake. (laughs) Woo! I don't understand why it happened this way, but it did. So there might be people along your path that you need to grab a hold of that are going to take you to the next step. People that are willing to walk with you, to walk with God with you. People that are going to guard your back with love and loyalty. Those are the people that you surround yourself with. Come next Thursday, you'll find some. Oh, Lord. I absolutely love this. Because this whole biblical chronicle of the Exodus is like not just a story that like they put on the felt boards. Anyone remember those? It's not just a story anymore. It's a template of my life. It's not just a a bedtime story anymore. It's hope for me. And we find things like this, and it's such a passion within me that we don't read scripture and just, eh. How many times have you heard someone be like, yo, John 3, 16, and you're like, for God's love in the world that he gave his only son. I know. We take away the power of the word when we act like we know what it has. So when you read things like this, when I found myself in Exodus, I'm like, Lord, really? It's like Romans, it's fire. Romans is good. I like Romans. But I ended up in Exodus of all places. Why? Because the characteristics and the traits of God trickle down through all of eternity. You just have to notice it. And there are things in our lives that we're thinking, Ugh, how am I going to do this? Trust. Be it a dream within you, be it something that you even want to get free from. you got to be willing to recognize what you have. Just like that Levite woman, she said, this baby is exceptionally beautiful. She trusted to put it into the Nile and let Miriam just watch over it. You have to trust that God is watching over your gift. And I can't say that enough. You have to trust it. Because if you're so reliant on, well, I don't really know if I give my dreams, do I get them back? It's like checking your coat when you get somewhere. Like, I'm going to get this back, right? I think a lot of us are afraid to surrender our gifts to the Lord because we're afraid he's going to, like, keep them. He's going to, like, sift through things and be like, "Mm, no. Mm, Okay, maybe. Mm, No. It says that the enemy sifts us, not the Lord. If he's placed something within you, if he's given you a gift, if he's given you a passion, if he's given you a desire, if it lines up with his word, He's going to let that come back to you, but the bill isn't going to be yours, remember? That gift is going to wash up on the shores of kings. 
And the whole time, you're just going to be like, I know my God is good. And that expansion that our, that our union with Christ demands, it will lead to the freedom of other people. As Pharaoh's daughter prophesied unknowingly over Moses his whole life, I lifted him out of the water, she called him. Every time she called his name, Moses, time for bed, lifted out of the water. She declared the freedom of his people from the very house he was trying to get them out of. you got to understand that there are steps placed before you that you don't even know about. you got to trust that the dominion that was given to you in the garden was attached to a plan and that he is faithful, faithful to complete it. I can't get over this, guys. It's been something that has been so in my heart, and it's like I was just sitting there and when Taylor asked me to preach, like, I was like, yeah, absolutely. And then he put it on, like, social media, and then I couldn't back out. He, like, got me there. Like, in the corner, I got a notification at work, like, millennial young adults tagged you in a post. And I was like, oh, it's been so long since I've spoke. And I got all nervous and weird. Eh. Outgrow that. Now, I decided to outgrow that today, actually. I was up there. I was getting all kinds of nervous. My flesh was trying to be like, but, but, but what if you get nervous? That could happen. I decided to say, "Mm, no, I was created for this. I'm going to step into it, and I'm not going to skip a beat. I'm not going to blink. I'm not going to flinch. Maybe I say something weird, whatever. Hope it's funny weird and not just like weird weird. But you've got to outgrow that nature of the flesh because there are people behind you waiting, just waiting. Moses is such a a depiction of God's plan on your life. And there are so many things throughout Exodus. I'm telling you guys, every ounce of this book is just dripping with revelation of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely full of the goodness of God. But are we willing to look for it? When things get hard, are we willing to look for the goodness of God? Are we willing to run to his covering and discipline? Are we willing to let go of the things that he's put in our hearts? Are we willing to give those up? Are you willing to start reading Exodus out of nowhere? There's a choice to outgrow our flesh. And there's people who are waiting for you to do it because they're bound until you do. People like Moses, the Lord doesn't leave his people in bondage. It says that he heard the cries of his people. But he put Moses in direct position, in divine placement. He put him in his lane. He said, go get my people, bring them home. In these end days, he's telling us the same thing. This is what I want you to do. Go get my people and bring them home. And like Moses, we can't get afraid. We can't step out and just be like, mm, that was a bad idea. We got to go for it. I'm so tired I'm so tired of living my life thinking, I am, I'm 22, there I said it, I'm 22, who's going to take me seriously? I slept with a stuffed animal for years, guys. That doesn't really scream like renowned person who does things that are important and serious. And I've written myself off for years. I started writing in high school. And I remember... I went so far as to have like a writer's name so no one knew who I was. It was a little dramatic, but okay, I was in high school, so cut me a little slack. Drama. But I was so worried because I didn't think anyone would take anything I said seriously because I was so young. That's twisted dominion. That's, oh yeah, I'm young, like, mm mm-mm. Whereas we're like fresh, right? We're like the fresh crop and we have all this like energy that like annoys everybody else. We have all this on the inside of us that the older generation is saying, use what you have. I don't have that. And while we wait and wait and wait to grow old, when we get there, we want to be young again. There's such supernatural timing and the gifts and callings that are in your life right now as a young adult. As a husband, as a wife, as a boyfriend, as a girlfriend, as a son and daughter of the Most High God, there are things in your life that are for such a time as this. And if we have that idea of twisted dominion of, well, I'm young, so there are people that are just waiting for you to step out. Just waiting. I shared it a couple weeks ago. I don't even know how long I've been talking. How long have I been talking? Are you serious? Y'all, I'm so sorry. It was his fault, okay? We were in this together. But this is a good place to close. This is a good place. Hallelujah. Is it really that long? Ooh. 
Oh, Kilkenny's is going to close on us tonight. Um, anyway, lastly here, I'll end with this. You know, I always give Taylor a hard time. Dang it. You guys were supposed to help me. I thought we were in this together. We have to get to this place. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if that baby's still on the inside of you. I don't know if that dream has yet to be birthed. I don't know if that dream is in the fields being labored on. As Pharaoh tried to kill the Hebrews, he tried to kill them through and during labor. But here we are. I don't know if you're in that process. I don't know if you're in Midian where the Lord is teaching you where the Lord is shaping you. I don't know if you're at Sinai. I don't know if he's given your assignment. I don't know if you're in Pharaoh's home yet telling him what you want. But you've got to trust the spirit of God on the inside of you that got you there. That same power, that same power, the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is what's working in you to cause those things to come out. This was so on my heart today. And I don't know if it was for anyone in particular, I don't know if I just needed to start talking. But I know that God told me to say it, so I did. He will teach your mouth what to say. That's what he told Moses. I'll teach your mouth what to say. I'll go with you. I'll teach you. But now we're in this point where it's up to us. Are we going to outgrow our flesh? Are we going to allow to be directly and divinely planted so that the seas will split at the right time? You know, Miriam means bitterness. I don't think Miriam could have been there to split the sea. But he who was pulled out of the water, Moses, that was prophesied over him. That was put into him. That was imprinted into him. I just want everybody to stand real quick, and I'll let you go. I've already pulled one, Taylor, so I won't do two. You know what it means. I just want to pray over you, over this group. I just want you to join in me. If you just want to pray in the Holy Ghost, pray in English, tap your foot, whatever you feel comfortable with. I thank you, Father, that the dreams and the visions that you have placed within this group, Father, are coming to fruition. I thank you, Father, that we would have the discipline, that, Father, we would have the passion, that, Father, we would have the design within us to walk out the call of God on our life with such power with such strength that it could burn on the inside of us and not consume our bodies. But that, Father, we would set ourselves up like Moses, where even when we mess up, we run into your covering, we run into your discipline. That, Father, we would allow the people around us that guard our hearts and our backs with love and loyalty, that we would allow those people to help shape us and get us divinely placed for the exodus that it requires to set the captives free. That, Father, we would take the anointing upon our lives seriously. That, Father, we would find joy in the call of God that has been placed on our lives from the foundation of time. That we would exercise our dominion, Lord. And for the people who are here tonight that have a dream, Father, I thank you that their phase two, their phase three, their phase four is coming in the name of Jesus. That you would begin to reveal your, your plans to them, Father. That you would begin to reveal your nature to them. Oh, Father, you are so good. Even in the old covenant, Father, you just wanted to be close to us. We thank you for it, Jesus. We thank you for this time tonight. As we expand as a body of believers, that, Father, you are taking us places that are going to wash us up on the shores of kings. Thank you, Lord, that we are divinely placed for such a time as this. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.